you've just decided to take this uh, seven-day journey out in the desert, and you're driving along in your car, and uh, you come over a hill and starting to go down, and there's a road sign. Tedious thoughts for the next 200 miles. You know. You signed on, you know. So I know the, you know, the first day is really uh, what we used to joke and, you know, kind of call it the swamp, you know, uh, or the train wreck or the car crash or whatever, simply because, uh, you know, you're so active out there. And you come and, and you run into uh, this, um, you know, supposed uh, tranquility and stillness, which it is. But you're still moving, you know. And so uh, traditionally the first day is really difficult, uh, you know, on the body particularly. You know, you're just not used to this. And even when you get used to this, you know, um, doing it many times, it's still hard that first day or two coming in, you know. I just was recalling, uh, this was probably, oh, maybe 34 years ago now, but I had been a monk. I had uh, spent probably 10 years or more uh, sitting, and uh, I'd come to the West, and, and um, uh, I went to this uh, retreat with my friends Jack and Joseph, and it was on the Russian River, and uh, it was uh, kind of rainy. And uh, I walked in, and I sat down, and I knew how to do this. And literally, I slept for three days, you know? It was just uh, this, I was just bobbed, you know? And uh, so I have a lot of compassion for, you know, the first day. And, and uh, you know, uh, I can sit here like a pretzel for, you know, a little bit forever. But, you know, uh, I suffered also. Uh, this is not uh, our natural kind of position, so at least in the West. I also remember a time in Burma, sitting in Burma. Oh, my gosh. You know, they set me up front, and there were, you know, maybe 60 Burmese, and they didn't even, they had, like, no nothing to sit on. They just were flat, you know, and they just were, I don't know, pretzels, you know, and it was no problem, you know, and after two hours, I was in dire pain. You know, and through the whole retreat, I was in dire pain, you know. I never really adjusted to, they'd go sometimes two and a half hours or whatever. An hour and a half, that was my limit, you know. And then slowly I built up a little bit. Oh, suffering. So I get it, you know. Be nice to yourself. Love yourself, you know. And there is a piece around this that somehow, you know, it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition about dealing with discomfort, you know? Because we really have a culture that, um, you know, uh, basically we do everything to get out of it. And here you come here, and one of the truths is that uh, learning to kind of deal with it and face it in very small increment, you know? It's not such a big deal here, you know? And and a lot of it you will kind of uh, relax and it'll be okay. But uh, there is a bit of a trial period here that you go through. This is from uh, Mildred Stryen. Uh, she was a, a potter. A clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the white heat of the furnace to become porcelain. 
And so I say that because uh, in some ways I see this process as um, this is kind of a cauldron and we come into it and, it's, and it really is we kind of heat it up. And it, it's, it's actually a process of, of um, purification, you know. And um, sometimes I think it, all the, the old stories and the different hurts and wounds and regrets and all that, uh, they get kind of pulled up and pulled out, you know. And so in that way, um, you know, I couldn't call this magic, but it's, it, is, it has a phenomenal way of, um, you know, unbeknownst to you, unbeknownst to you, that it releases uh, kind of old stories, old things are sometimes stored. Uh, particularly, I see, not only in the mind and the stories, but also the body itself. So tonight, I want to kind of aim towards this whole thing around, um, you know, grounding our attention uh, in, in our world, our physical world. So I'll read you one of my poems here. Uh, called Badiness. The wind whistling through this valley. Maybe it could blow the many thoughts, stories, and feelings out through the hills, scattering them for miles and miles. Yet today, sitting on this sore bum, knees a little creaky, not sure why I would want to inhabit this fickle body. Difficulty pulling buoyant mind down, down into the skittish body, staying only a moment, then off again. Prancing around, hoping to think myself out of all these discomforts. Yet remembering this sacred and enchanted place, asking only to surrender to a body, steeped in its own natural loveliness, body inhabiting body. Awareness, grounded in this home, destined to feel itself one breath at a time, destined to feel itself one breath at a time. Making nothing, making nothing out of all of this, Resting in its totality, body in body. So, um, just a little bit about these teachings that um, have been passed down from generation to generation. And I just want to give you a bit of synopsis of of, uh, it's really what is known as the Satipatthana, which is the, really the discourse on mindfulness. And uh, it is probably the most fundamental piece here of uh, what the Buddha taught as, um, as means. And really, this is the thing. We need means to, to um, explore and understand this journey. You know? And it's, uh, it's pretty straightforward. You know, uh, first, uh, just speaking of the mindfulness as a, this uh, kind of contemplation of uh, simply 
first just the fact that, um, you know, we have these postures. We stand, we sit, we lie down, we walk. And these are the four postures. And one of the things I found originally and that made it so difficult was uh, I could sit and I was okay. I could walk and I was okay. But the transitions between these things, I would lose it, you know? And so there's a piece about the secret to the mindfulness itself and its origins was the continuity of this awareness through all both internal and external experience, you know. And it is uh, uh, definitely, um, you know, there are, are uh, complexities to it in the sense that uh, probably the longest part of the whole of the, uh, of the discourse itself uh, is on the body, you know. But I want to just give you a kind of overview first and then I'll uh, kind of land back a little here. Uh, first, it really is the fact that, um, you know, uh, this awareness of um, there is the breath, the breath is part of the body, and the body uh, is, uh, really is an anchor that you can uh, kind of rest your attention, you know. So I'll talk more about that. But in the tradition, there's that, and then there, the second part of it is there's a word vedna, which simply means um, it's feeling, basically. And there really, it's nice here that it isn't the, you know, Baskin Robbins or anything. It's really simple. It's three flavors, you know. It's pleasant, unpleasant, or non-pleasant, or not unpleasant, you know, just three. So it's, in that way, it's kind of, it's the simplicity of it. And then it goes from that into uh, what we know as mind states. And mind states, in this case, are, um, you know, uh, anger and lust and fear, uh, that these are uh, mind states and, and emotions that, in this particular means uh, that uh, take and catch us. And yet we can also be mindful of these states as they arise and pass away, uh, including all the thought processes, you know, all that storytelling that goes on in there, you know. And then the fourth, just to be really simple about this, uh, is uh, this is really... Uh, in, in the Buddha's understanding here, because we have to understand how this works, there is essentially, we know a Western psychology is based on uh, kind of the surface material of things, of, you know, how we operate in the world and, and, you know, and relationships and jobs and all that. And the Buddha wasn't so interested in that, you know. What he was interested in is that there was actually, uh, you know, that was very, it's very personal at this level kind of the surface material. But what he was interested in was what was a commonality, what was deep below everything. And this, this fourth one is simply um, about the processes themselves, you know. And so uh, he spoke of it in, in the, um, the five hindrances, uh, the five aggregates. Uh, and these are lists that break down a lot of the universal principles you know, uh, the six sense doors, the 
um, Four Noble Truths. These are all, they're, they're all kind of lists, but they're all about the universal, you know, of what's down deep that's actually a commonality that we experience, we all experience. And that there is uh, skillful and unskillful, the way we uh, kind of get caught uh, in, the, in these processes and, uh, and find ultimately our freedom, you know. So that's kind of a, a general map there of, of the, what they call the, uh, the discourse on, um, on mindfulness. And now going back to the body, because uh, it's interesting as a culture, uh, I actually like to give this talk. I've given it many times. Well, I never give the same talk. I never know what I'm, exactly I'm going to do, but that's okay. What's true is that um, I say this is a, you know, uh, I'm hoping this doesn't mean anything to you, but it's a thing called dissociation, you know. I was thinking I was uh, sent to boarding school in Switzerland when I was six, and, and um, you know, uh, I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot about, you know, and my parents kind of were off traveling and whatever, and um, I actually spent years in that environment. And um, there was a lot in that experience, which, you know, was common, uh, particularly among the Brits, you know, that, um, you know, a kid six years old, I watched my grandchildren at six and I was going, oh my gosh, that was a traumatic, you know? And what was the result of that was a dissociation. It was, oh, you know what? What I had to learn was somehow, in a sense, was the life of the mind, you know? And, um, and I've, I've watched that follow through. I remember we used to go down when... Uh, this was when I was little, we'd go down to, um, the school was about 30 kids and from all over the world and in this little school and this was a, this was a ski resort. And we'd go down and we'd go to Catholic Mass in those days. It was all in Latin and it was all smoky with myrrh and incense. It was, it was mystical, you know? And, um, and it's really where I think I started to realize that, oh, I really wanted to get out of this. You know, I wasn't, I had, had a lot of trauma already. And so I wanted to get out. And so what I was given by my culture was actually this capacity to dissociate, but actually uh, to what? To transcend, you know. And that was what was taught, you know, was somehow if I could just get out of this, you know. So my primary understanding was that uh, somehow if I could get far enough away, and so, you know, in the 60s, I made it to the Haight-Ashbury, uh, you know, and I won't talk about that, but you know the story, you know? And uh, uh, it totally discombobulated me, but there was still this sense of somehow, and I'm an adventurer, so it wasn't a big deal, you know, from Europe, but, um, but there was a, a piece around, okay, here was this dissociation, and that I was going to do everything in my power uh, to get out of this, you know, and get out of it. So, you know, it began with, of course, the drugs of the 60s, and, and, and then it was fasting, and then it was, in some sense, pushing the body. And the Buddha actually didn't know different in his time, you know. Uh, he also understood the same 
process or practice, you know. And in the tradition at the time, uh, you know, it was to take yourself uh, to the limit, you know. And the Buddha actually uh, almost dies uh, pushing himself to that limit. I not didn't go that far. But it was definitely important to me that somehow I could transcend this world, I could burn the bridges behind me, and somehow there was this carrot called enlightenment uh, that somehow would get me out of everything and then I'd be fine, right? You know. Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, um, this is in the late 60s, uh, I had a wonderful teacher, Lama Tupteneshi, and he, he was a love bug. He just, you know, he, he, he was funny. He, he, he didn't really hold to his tradition so much. And um, you could just feel, you know, this incredible amount of inclusion. You know, you can call it loving kindness, but it wasn't personal. It was just inclusion, you know. And um, with that, you know, I, I just is just one of these pieces. I, I um, you know, you have those little moments where you have an insight, and and uh, I'd become friends with him, and I would hang out in the now it's a big monastery, but in those days it was the uh, the king's astrologer's house uh, above Kathmandu, you know, and I just it was one of those things. That I was up on this hill looking down on all of Kathmandu and with uh, Lama, and um, he said, John, you have it wrong. You know, uh, here you've been pushing yourself to get out of this. And he turned around and he took his finger and he, he was incredibly, uh, well, whatever he was. Anyway, he took and he put his hand against my chest and he said, you have to go through this. You know, and I didn't understand at the time what he meant. I had to go through this because all I'd done was, all he knew about me was, you know, I just kept running. from. I was just running from place to place hoping that somehow I'd find the pleasure that would somehow take me, um, I don't know. All I knew is I didn't want to be in that, you know? And he said, oh, you have to go through that. And it really began a process that um, probably that, that was uh, in fall, and then that, in that spring, I decided I would go up to Everest Base Camp. And um, so I went and, you know, he had to get, give me a mantra so I could, you know, do this on my way up there and uh, have all the magic I needed, you know. And um, it was interesting, though. You know, he said, um, just keep your mind in your feet. Keep your mind in your feet. And it was probably the first time I, I heard anything about walking instructions. They were very basic. But uh, again, it was this piece of, oh, no, I had to own uh, what was here. You know, one of the things in Sutra, I can't remember all this, but it's really, it's kind of a, a, I thought a really great description, I was telling Kathy during dinner, is of a, the body of being a stake in the ground. And on this stake, there are uh, creatures. And uh, so there is a, uh, there is a dog uh, who always wants to go to town. Uh, there is a bird who always wants to fly up. Uh, there is a snake that always wants to go into the ground. 
uh, there is a jackal who always wants to go to the cremation ground or cemetery. You know, and I can't remember the other two, but it's actually the six senses and that you have to anchor, anchor this, that our experience uh, to the body, you know. And it, actually it took me some years because, you know, it, it was, it was uh, so intriguing, the life of the mind, you know. I had all these stories about how I'd grown up and all the kind of my own kind of PTSD stuff and everything. And I took them and I made them, I concretized, I made them into something solid. And then I started to take them apart, you know. It took uh, some years there of really taking them apart and realizing that ultimately, you know, uh, that I didn't have to run, that I actually, I was here. And that uh, I was being taught this very simple truth, you know, that I've, I could anchor those senses in the body, you know, that I had a chance, you know. It's not that I didn't, you know, I stayed on, like you, I'd probably stand on the breath, you know, maybe two breaths, three breaths, four breaths, and then whoosh, off I went. And then, uh, you know, then I'd remember and come back again. I mean, that's the dance, you know, and you, you'll do this a long time. So there are different kind of uh, practices uh, about the body that um, are helpful. I was um, one of the one, uh, one of the times I was a monk was with this teacher Tongpulu Saida, and he had uh, he had only one teaching that he taught, and it was called the Thirty Two Parts of the Body that came right right out of the Satipatthana, and what it was you just went through the body, and, and when the descriptions was, actually it was like looking at a car. I mean, this was his description, looking at a car. And that you could say car from the outside. So you can say John from the outside. But then when you start going through the parts, you know, and um, it is just called the 32 parts of the body, but you go through the parts one by one, and the, pro- the process was somehow that in this, there's the difference between kind of what we make up about something and the different parts of it, you know, and we start to break it down. And our identification is all based on Carr or John, you know. But actually, it's just a series of parts, you know. And so uh, ultimately, uh, your experience is pretty simple. You know, and I'm just using the senses in this. You know, you, uh, that that is awake, aware, which you happen to be, have been living with the whole time, you know, and that uh, it has the capacity to notice seeing. So you see, you hear, you taste, you smell, you have body sensations, and you have thinking. These are kind of the six six senses uh, that you experience, you know. And it seems like they're somewhat jumbled in some ways. But ultimately, what's behind it is there is a knowing uh, that you are walking around in, you know. And that that you're walking around in, uh, by the way, has no problem. It is actually not a problem at all, you know. 
And uh, to notice that 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 notices it, you know, uh, is actually quite free from uh, the play of the senses uh, and the thoughts themselves, you know. And so ultimately, you know, as we kind of break all these parts down, we begin to see that, oh, it was the identification, the dualism of myself and these parts, you know, whether I was identifying with Carr or if I was identifying with John, you know. And the idea here is to loosen that structure, you know, to use actually uh, the body and the means to begin to see that the dualism itself, uh, you know, uh, in the personal, well, when it's confused, it suffers. You know, when it really wants something or it really wants to get rid of something, it suffers. It's very simple. This is not you know, some kind of great brain science or anything. It's very simple in that way. And that we began to understand that we are constantly kind of choosing, you know, uh, in our experience. We can get caught in those. You have such great stories, you know? And I know they're so fantastic and, and, you know, one side of the story is, you know, it's very optimistic and wonderful and beautiful and, and, but it doesn't go anywhere. You know, you're not going to go anywhere. You're just going to end up right back here, you know? And then you have some terrible story, you know, and it's just like, oh, this person, I never could forgive them and all this stuff. And it doesn't go anywhere here, you know? Ultimately, you may untangle a little bit of it, but more in the feeling base than the thinking base, you know? And ultimately, though, you know, there's always this that's getting lost in the kind of dualism of it. You know, and what I'm advocating here on some level right away is that uh, just to let go, you know, to let go of the whole thing, the senses, your thinking, the whole thing, that there is just the knowing that's there, you know. And, you know, you can't win. You can't win in this, um, you know, there was a great description in one of this out of the suttas too I thought was kind of interesting was uh, there's uh, this person with a that has a pot of oil on their head and they are going to have to walk uh, through a crowd of people while there was a a, a, a dancing um, group with music and everything going on. And this person had to walk through it. And behind them was somebody who, if they spilled a drop of oil, kaput, finished, you know. And so in a way, that's kind of like us because we get so caught up in, you know, the dance and the music and all, all of it that somehow it kind of enchants us or entransitizes and, and we pulls us off believing somehow we're going to figure it out, you know. And somehow that, you know, what's here is not enough. You know, and I think this is the this is the, really the piece of it, that here and now is not enough. And that you have some sense of, okay, you know, that'll be better. And maybe if I had just the right chair, 
you know, then it'd be okay, or the right zafu or the right bench or something, you know, uh, that would do it, you know. Maybe that would do it. But this kind of ripples out, and you're doing it in your storytelling, you know. And again, you know, there's nothing, I don't have anything against storytelling because I've, you know, one thing I do know about stories, uh, since I've told a lot of them, you know, uh, you know, um, how to say this, you know, there's one perception of things that's your perception. You know, your belief and your story of how whatever happened, happened, you know. And, um, you know, from a kind of a ultimate and truth point of view, it's not really true. You know, it's a shaded piece that appears to be somewhat true. But, uh, so I'm just trying to encourage you to say, okay, you know, can I just let go of that? Can I just see if it goes away? Oh, I have this feeling, though, when that happens. My suggestion is if you have this, it's repeating itself, is just go to your body. Feel where you feel it, you know. And if you feel it and know where it is, you can also know what it is, you know. And it, it may be, oh, I'm sad. Or, you know, uh, I'm really angry. You know, and there's nothing wrong with these feelings, but they have to be known. And then they have to, in a sense, by knowing them, it's a very simple process here. Actually, to know it, feel it in the body, and name it, is to liberate it. You know, that may take a few times, or maybe many times, but that is essentially what happens, you know. Another thing I've really found helpful uh, over the years is uh, in the, with working with the body is what is known as the four or five element practice. And uh, it, to keep it really simple, you know, um, there are the four elements, earth, air, water, fire. Uh, they are ways to distinguish what and where one's experiencing. So, but they are simply, uh, there is our storytelling about everything, and then there is actually the bare experience of it. And that's what I'm pointing at. And and one of these methods is uh, just staying with the bare experience of it. So uh, there is uh, heat, you know. And so maybe inside, and this is, uh, they're not something that, um, you know, uh, you recognize pretty easily. You get hot, you get cold, and it's just the fire element. So when you note that hot or cold that's being experienced or cool or warm, you note the fire element. Uh, if you note uh, that suddenly there's a heaviness in the body, earth element, you know, or there's a sense of kind of uplifting and lightness, earth element, you know, simple. You know, there is the fact, but there's no I in there. There's just these processes. So there is also uh, the water element, you know. So we know, in the sense, a sense of fluidity or, you know, someone is talking about being the ocean today, you know. 
and that there is a sense of fluidity that uh, can be known in its nature, felt, and recognize it as just simply the water element. So again, no I, me, or mine in it, just uh, the function uh, of the experience itself, you know. And then there is, of course, the air element, which uh, is usually the way we experience the air element is vibration. You know, there's some kind of tingling or vibration in the body. And we notice that and we go, oh, the air element, no big deal. I don't have to make a story about it. I don't have to do anything with it. I can simply note it as the bare experience of this air element moving through me, you know. So it, it's, it's uh, whatever, all these practices are some way to break down the identification, you know, and go more towards uh, an objective kind of sense and view of things, you know. It's, and, and, you know, We're very interesting with this identity, you know? It globs on. But these are all the satipatthanas actually has methods to, in a sense, uh, counteract the identification, which is really uh, kind of the heart of it. You know, and if you want to be really into it, there are what are known as the kind of nine cemetery practices, you know? which have to do with the fact that, um, you know, if you get, uh, they do this with the monks, you know, uh, in Thailand particularly, you know, and the Burmese, you know, uh, take them to the morgue, you know, and uh, let them experience the, the truth of, you know, that non-separateness, that this is the truth of the body, you know. And so no matter... Uh, what we make up or think about, this is, everyone in this room has a, you know, we have a single direction, you know? And um, it's not to be morose about it or anything like that. It's just simply that we can begin to, in a sense, you know, um, you know, I like the kind of piece around Don Juan and Carlos Castaneda's books, of keeping death over your left shoulder. And if there's anything that you really want to know, ask your death, you know. So, I know, it's a little bit heavy, but that's okay. It's only the first night. <laughs> you know. So, um, I think, you know, what else do I want to talk about? I'll put a little Zen in here. This is Hakuan Zenji from the Song of Zazen. All beings by nature are Buddha. As ice by nature is water. How sad people ignore the near in search for truth afar, like someone in the midst of water crying out for thirst. Truly, is anything missing now? Nirvana is right here before our eyes, this very place, the pure lotus land. This very body, 
the Buddha. So I think what I'll do here is uh, I'm just going to read my poem again. Maybe it'll make, I always find it makes more sense a second time, especially first evening. I don't know if any of it makes sense, but that's okay. You know, at least it's my mind, not your mind. <laughs> you know, you can be happy about that. Bodiness. The wind whistling through this valley Maybe it could blow the many thoughts, stories, and feelings out through the hills, scattering them for miles and miles. Yet today, sitting on this sore bum, knees a little creaky, not sure why I'd want to inhabit this fickle body. Difficulty pulling buoyant mind down, down into this body, staying only a moment, staying only a moment, and then off again. Prancing around, hoping to think myself out of all these discomforts. Yet remembering this sacred and enchanted place, asking only to surrender to the body, steeped in its own natural loveliness, body inhabiting body. Awareness grounded in this home, destined to feel itself, destined to feel itself one breath at a time, making nothing, making nothing out of all of this, Resting in its totality, body in body. So let's just sit for a moment. So just feel your butt on the chair or pillow or cushion. And just acknowledging that the earth, ultimately, it's holding you. That gravity, that contact between body and earth. And recognizing that when you recognize that contact between body and earth, that there can be a sense of uh, ease, a feeling of uh, safe.
Don't get lost, stay. Just like a little puppy dog, come back, stay, stay. It's the only place you Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.